Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'm Anne and with co-host Bill today I would like to pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Each week on the Living Free Show we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol and gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience save lives. Uh, Today Bill is talking to Susie. Welcome to the show, Susie. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for um, putting up with our slow return to the studio with a, a bit of new functionality. Susie, you know a little bit about the show. So basically what we do is we talk about uh, the impact of alcoholism on an individual and, and also try and look at how it affected you over your life and the sort of things that, I guess, looking back, you, you can sort of see that were important issues or milestones in your progression to alcoholism and the things that were significant in getting you to realise the problem and to look for a solution. So do you want to start by telling us a little bit about growing up and family and and how you related to other people early on? Yep, so my um, I come from a long line of alcoholics. Um, My family were... Great. My mum and dad, uh, really cool people. Dad, um, probably an alcoholic, but I don't think they mentioned that word back then. But he was a big party man. Mum loved to drink, but she couldn't drink much and she had to drive. She always said if there were two drunks in the family, how would we ever get home? <laughs> um, and dad, uh, dad's dad was an alcoholic and mum's mum was an alcoholic. Um, but, you know, I, I, as a child, I, I felt, I, from a very early age, I felt um, different and sort of empty. Uh, like, you know, they say the hole in the soul. I think that started from a very early age where I felt a bit like an alien around people and I was full of fear um, of others. Um, and I felt unloved because mum never told me she loved me. Dad, dad, when he'd had enough drinks, told me he loved me. Um, but it was uh, it was a lonely feeling um, and I felt worthless so, um, and disconnected, disconnected from from others in a way. So did you have that, did you have trouble making friends? Uh, no, I didn't have trouble making friends. I had lots of friends. I was really popular. Um but I was a control freak. You know, at state school, I was controlling and bullying. And that was because of my fear. Um, that's how that manifested. My school reports all said, Sue is a born leader. Uh, however, she leads in the wrong direction. Uh, I was a rebel, but I had lots of friends, lots of friends. Um, I was captain of, you know, my group and I was the most popular. Um, and that, and that sort of went through until I had some really smart, intelligent girlfriends who all parents were all artists and writers and, and they in turn became writers and artists. 
Um, but when they, I decided that they weren't drinkers and party animals like me, I dumped them and I went to the group at school that were, that I knew would party with me. So that's what I chose because um, the others, you know, became a bit of a waste of time to me. Can I just ask you when you when you first started drinking alcohol? I was ten. I, my my family used to have huge parties in our house. Um, one morning they had hangovers, and I was cleaning up the dregs of the party. And I remember picking up a half of flat beer, um, drinking it, and some wine. And I remember thinking, I've found God. This is my God. So what did and it feel like to you? It felt like I all my insecurities um, disappeared and I felt euphoric. I felt like this was what I'd been looking for. This was what was missing. Um, and that was very early, very early age that that started. Um, but I, you know, and that, and that became, alcohol became my best friend until it didn't, until it nearly killed me. So um, became my worst enemy. Yeah, yeah. It was about ten. Okay, so uh, ten. So you're in primary school. So did that affect? You know, did you drink often? No, I didn't drink then. I yeah. didn't start. I started drinking probably fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, um, with my peer group. It, they were all drinkers. We were all party people, uh, and and that probably wasn't that heavy drinking in those days. Um, that was just a lot of fun, but a lot of drinking. We didn't go anywhere and not drink. That's just what you did. Yeah. And that was standard. I didn't know people that didn't drink and I didn't hang out with people that didn't drink. You know, why would you? No. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Um, so... Your your friendships then, if if you were um, drinking at that age, was it difficult to get the drink? No, never. We um, raided our parents' liquor cupboards. Um, there was always alcohol everywhere. Never a problem getting it. Um, one New Year's Eve, I guess I was maybe 13, my girlfriend and I raided the um, cabinet in our camp we camp camping area where we spent most of our lives. Um, and I found a bottle of brandy. And so I sculled most of a bottle of brandy and I was so sick. I was probably 13. I threw up for two days and eventually I had to tell mum what I'd done because I couldn't even keep food down. Now you think that would have put me off drinking, <laughs> but it didn't. But I tell you what, I've never touched brandy again. <laughs> I can't stand the smell of it. But there was always alcohol, and our parents would get it for us. You know, yeah. back then, just didn't seem to be a problem. Yeah. So they weren't concerned about your drinking? Not then. No. No, not then. Um, years later, it, when it became a real problem, everyone was concerned about it because it was affecting everyone you know alcoholism is a family disease as they say so people were affected everywhere around me every single person I knew um, obviously for years I drank for 45 years probably for the last 25 it was a problem and it, a huge problem for my mum dad died when I was 40 
Um, yeah, because mum knew I'd got the missing gene from her mum, she knew straight away that I was alcoholic. I mean, we're predisposed to alcoholism. You know, you, you're fairly well born with it. And it's been, you know, right through my family. Yeah, and families, years, families, generations. Yeah, families breed alcoholics as well. Um, mm. Just, just by the denial and the, you know, the two sets of rules. One set of rules inside the house, a different set of rules in society. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's such a paradox, isn't it? Because alcohol is so toxic and so carcinogenic, and it's still advertised on billboards, you know, and and TV, and it's legal, and it's. You know, there's more deaths, alcohol-related deaths in the world than anything else, and yet it's still encouraged and it's still mandatory. Yeah, and it's, it's still it's, the the, it's the scary. go-to thing it's that you do to celebrate our young children. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, growing up then drinking and having a lot of drink in your life, did that affect your relationships generally? Well, I only hung out with people that drank. I married an alcoholic. Um, that, you know, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, that lasted six years and that couldn't last any longer than that because, you know, we were bored with drinking and that was all with each other and that was all we had yeah. in common, really. I mean, we have a beautiful daughter from that marriage. No regrets there. I have no regrets at all in my entire life. Um, but... I, uh, all my friends drank, so all my relationships were drink related. So, you know, not a problem then, no. I, I, you know, I met a lot of people that I sort of got rid of uh, along the way if they weren't doing what I did, if they weren't dr up to drinking the way I did. But, you know, I didn't know anyone, even men around me then that could drink as much as me. I was like a machine. Yeah. yeah, I could outdrink men. Yeah. Did you did you drink to blackout? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, around my thirties, around thirty-five to forty, I had lots of blackout time, or brownouts, I call them, when you can remember some things. You know, blackouts are like when your um, your body's asleep but your mind's still out of rave. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I had blackouts. I lost hours. I, I, I remember once um, my daughter was, you know, four-ish and I got in the morning I was wondering why the whole side of my car was smashed in, the side that she sat in where her car seat was, and she said, don't you remember running into the lamppost, Mum? Mm. Now, that was a blackout with a four-year-old in your car, you know, yeah. no regrets, but seriously. And there were a lot of those times, a lot of risky times a lot of times I should have died a lot of times over the years where I should have died and a lot of bad decisions came from the drink and a lot of very very risky situations yes you know? I'm sure yeah. yeah it's particularly an issue for women drinkers um yeah yeah well apparently we can't drink as much but you know <laughs> I proved them wrong <laughs> okay well so we might take a break there um yep. and I think has got a song queued up once you were the queen of the world once you were a little girl 
Sheltered from the bitter storm Well, they changed the rules to sink or swim Was your welcome where and then Sit and shut up and welcome to the world Doesn't everybody love a little girl
angry at paying the heavy price for COVID? How about healthy, safe conditions at work? More health care, less police powers, a safe world with free vaccines for everyone. Rally Saturday, the 19th of March. Fight for public health and workplace safety. State Library, 12 o'clock noon. This rally was initiated by Workers' Solidarity and rally organisers are 3CR supporters. Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Welcome back, everybody. The song you just heard there was The Other Side of the River by the Whirling Furfies. Um, this is a living free show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM radio dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you would like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. Um, we're talking to Susie today, so I'll hand back over to Bill. Uh, yeah, Susie. Um, so Susie's a recovering uh, alcoholic, and she's recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. So Susie, um, before the break, we were talking about brownouts and the sort of things that happen during your drinking, um, particularly, I guess, in your mid mid thirties uh, when you had a child. So what other sort of impacts, I guess, in your daily life did alcoholism have on you? when you had a, a young family? Um, well, yeah, look, we just um, soldiered on. You know, it was such a part of our life. Uh, most mums, most of my friends were mums then. It was such a big part of our lives. We would, um, you know, take the kids to the pub for lunch and sit them on the cigarette machine in the carry cop um, and play pool you know <laughs> and that was just normal um we just took them everywhere like my parents did with me obviously uh as she got older you know she suffered greatly from my i had restaurants and bars for 20 years and um she was suffering a lot because i was never there um i wasn't physically or emotionally there for her um, that went on for years. My mother suggested she take her from me because she wasn't getting what she needed because we were either working or drinking or hungover. Um, that went on for a long time. She, luckily, she had three step siblings who looked after her a lot in those days. But, you know, that alcoholism is is such a selfish disease you know I mean it comes before everything it came before her it came before everything all I could think about 
back then was, and it, there were a lot of drugs, there were a lot of party drugs involved over the years. Um, but, you know, the, the most important thing in your life is when you're going to get your next drink or drug, everything else is secondary. So it affects everyone. Um, you know, alcohol's like a neurological sledgehammer. Um, I was losing my memory. I was going mad. Um, I was couldn't concentrate. I couldn't make decisions. Um, I felt like my nerve endings were exposed um, all the time. It was really quite frightening what alcohol does over a, a long period of time. You know, the more you drink, the worse it gets, obviously. Um, and I and it took me. Um, you know, I hit rock bottom, and then I realised that rock bottom had a basement. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, that's a uh, lovely uh, analogy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I had to take drastic measures then, but that was after, um, you know, having restaurants and bars, and it, the, the the partying that went on with everyone. We're in a small town, you know, twenty four seven partying for ten. 12 years in that sort of business and then I'm, my partner and I moved to, well, that partner died, uh, went to jail for dealing drugs and then died and my new partner and I then went to Sydney to live for eight years and, and the thought in my mind was going to Sydney to drink myself to death because I wouldn't have had any family or friends up there hassling me or no mum to worry about me and I could have just reinvented myself and drunk myself into the grave, um, which unfortunately didn't, which fortunately and maybe didn't happen. But um, that was, you know, well, I'm f nearly five years sober. So that was six, seven years ago. And I, I then first went to AA in Sydney, but I only lasted about eight months and I wasn't serious about it really. And I, still hadn't um, surrendered to step one you know if we have if we haven't surrendered to step one we don't really have a chance you know admitting that our life is we're powerless over alcohol and that our life has become unmanageable and you know I I hadn't admitted to that the first stint I did in AA um, five years ago I did um, I have sponsees that relapse all the time because they haven't surrendered to step one you know it's very important to admit um that you need help so susie can i delusion for a long long time and we hate to have to admit that yeah. we're alcoholic especially yeah. women you know yeah <laughs> it's, still, it's still taboo yeah so do you want to talk a bit about um that that concept of of surrendering um rather than that the concept of submission so the difference between them is one is you, you're no longer fighting, whereas if you don't admit you've got a problem, you're always fighting, always looking for a way out. Yeah, well, I looked for a way out for, you know, 20 years. I knew that I had a problem, but I looked for a way out for 20 years. I was going to AA when I think about it when I was 30, and I stopped when I was 63, um, 62. So... Um, finally, yeah, we, we can trick ourselves for so long. We can just pretend for so long, you know, never underestimate the power of denial, especially with alcoholics. But I got, uh, I was drinking 
you know, two and a half bottles to three bottles of red wine in the end, and I was isolating, not seeing anyone. I um, I knew I had done so much AA work in the past, and yet I still couldn't stop. You know, that was the frightening part. I was drinking on knowledge, basically. Um, but I got, uh, I had my four-month-old grandson and this particular night, and I was, not that I got drunk. I, I was two and a half bottles in, but I, I wasn't drunk as such. I never fell over drunk. Um, and I looked at him at one point and thought, what would I do if, if something happened to him and I had to get him to the hospital? And I had this vision of this drunk old granny throwing the baby in the cab to the hospital. <laughs> and I, uh, there and then, I got on my hands and knees and prayed to God to help me, a higher power to help me stop. And I had a spiritual awakening then and there and weird things happened to my body and my head and I heard a voice and I saw a light and I stopped. That's nearly five years ago. I never had a drink again. The next morning I went to my first AA meeting in St Kilda and there was a woman there who got up and shared. Her name was also Susie. She shared her story, which was tragic. Um, it was my story. It was exactly my story. And I cried through the whole meeting. And I probably went to 100 meetings in that area. And I never saw that woman again. So there, there she was put for me by the higher power, I'm pretty sure. Um, and that was the end of my drinking. But, you know, there was a long lead up to that and a lot of tragedy and a lot of, well, a lot of fun too. But a lot of um, people affected and a lot of people hurt and a lot of brain cells lost and, yeah. you know, and, and, and a really, really sick body and mind by the time I stopped. Yeah. Can you... you know, I mean, they say we either end up in a mental asylum or jail or dead. And, um, you know, it is. It's a fatal disease. And I've seen a lot of people in the rooms of AA over the last five years relapse and die because they relapse and their bodies aren't used to it and they OD. Mm. You now, people don't really realise that we have a disease. We have a disease which causes a phenomenon of craving. And it's true that our first drink gets us drunk. And the phenomenon of craving creates a situation whereby we can't stop. Whether we want to or not, we cannot physically stop because we're allergic to alcohol. You know, mm. we can't drink any alcohol. And we try everything. We try controlled drinking. We try, you know, controlled, controlling. I was controlling what everyone else was drinking when I practiced controlled drinking. Because when they weren't looking, I was drinking theirs as well. <laughs> So that was controlling everybody's drinking. Uh, nothing worked. You know, people say we went, you know, we go to psychologists and psychiatrists and faith healers and, you know, tarot readers to try and sort out what it is and find another way besides abstinence. But there is no other way. And the only way that we can get sober has been proven that is AA because it's the community and the benevolence in the rooms and the support um, and people giving you phone numbers and people that are like-minded and 
you know, understand us. No one understands alcoholics like alcoholics do. That's how the big book was written. It was based on one alcoholic helping another. And that's the only way it, this works. You know, people try and do it on their own and we call them dry drunks and they're very, very miserable people because they don't have the community around them and yeah. the support that, that AA gives us. Yeah. You know, it's a brilliant, brilliant fellowship. I, It's very successful if you do the work. But it's, you know it's one day at a time and it's and it's work, it's daily work. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so we might take another break. Uh, I think Anne's got another song queued up. Okay. Drown, really. 
that was another song by the Whirling Furfies, Ritual River. Um, now, the AA National Convention, with Alan on participation, is on in Melbourne from Friday the 22nd of April to Sunday the 24th of April. Uh, if you join them, you'll hear powerful speakers from AA and Al-Anon tell stories of recovery. For more information, go to their website at www.aanatcon2020.com. 2020.com. Uh, 2022, I think. So I'll say that again. www.aanatcon. They've, they, it's got 2020 here, but it could be 2022.com. Uh, so that's the Alcoholics Anonymous National Convention with Al-Anon participation at the Pullman Hotel, 65 Queens Road, Albert Park. And as always, if you need more information about a problem of alcoholism, call Alcoholics Anonymous on 1300 222 222 or Al-Anon Family Groups on 1300 252 666. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Ah, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And we're talking with Susie about recovery from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. So Susie, we just heard about the AA National Convention that's in Melbourne in April. And I just wondered if, you, if you'd like to sort of talk a bit about the, I guess, the importance of getting together, uh, alcoholics getting together, and the importance of conventions and, and how they work. Uh, yes, so this convention, these conventions, yeah, they're very um, important because... They need they they ensure AA against government while insulating it against anarchy. They protect AA against disintegration while preventing over-integration. We need them so that an Alcoholics Anonymous is is the ultimate repository of its 12 steps, its 12 traditions, and all of its services. So having these conventions keeps in place the 12 traditions. Um, which are very important in AA, um, and it gives everyone a say, and um, it you know manifests any changes that are needed with everybody there to give their their opinions. It's important. The twelve traditions are very important to maintain, and this is this helps a lot. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand um, the traditions of AA, but but basically they're about people getting on with each other. Uh, without conflict, because bringing a whole group of alcoholics together is probably not a good idea, unless you've got some sort of guidelines. So, I guess going back to uh, at the the traditions operate at the group level as well. So, do you want to talk a bit about how AA groups function and sort of um, how they helped you? Well, you know, AA is free. I think that's the best part about AA. It's free. You know, you can get well. And sober, and it doesn't cost you anything. Um, you go to the meetings, you're accepted and welcome. Everyone's accepted. You know, the only the only prerequisite is a desire to stop drinking. That's it. Um, I've met some amazing people in those rooms. 
Um, I've had sponsors. I've um, probably, you know, my best friends now are in the room. So, you know, you tend to have to get rid of a fair few people in your life if they continue doing what you don't do because there's no commonality of interest anymore. So, you know, my best friends really are in the rooms and people that I spend a lot of time with. Um, everyone in those rooms understands you. You um, you can say whatever you want. You can share very, very personal things that nobody bats an eyelid because everybody in the room's already done what you're talking about, no doubt. And um, the benevolence is extraordinary. Uh, I don't think you find that sort of situation anywhere apart from in these meetings. Um, you know, people say I'm too... I'm, I'm in too much shame to go to meetings when they first decide to stop drinking. You know, there's no shame in those meetings. There's no judgment whatsoever. And that's what's so good about them. And, you know, a hat goes round Tradition 7 and we donate to the cause. And that's about all, you know, we have to do. We have to do service. You know, we are encouraged to do the dishes pick up a tea towel, have a chat to people while you're doing so, set up the chairs, um, you know, whatever you need to do, whatever you feel is right, whatever service you feel that you want to contribute. And it just works, you know. This whole fellowship just is like clockwork. There's no bosses. Um, there's just a whole lot of support and it's brilliant. It's mm. a brilliant fellowship. Mm. Uh, one of the interesting things is that in AA you don't have to have stopped drinking, but you'd have to have the desire to stop drinking. So mm. do you want to talk a bit about, um, I guess, coming back into the rooms while you're still drinking? Well, a lot of people do. You know, you you can smell alcohol on people in those rooms, <laughs> obviously. They're going to suss it out while they're still drinking. Um, it's not encouraged. It's not encouraged to, to be drunk in AA meetings, obviously, but it's not judged either. No one's judged. Um, and, you know, if, if that's the way you need to start your fellowship journey, then that's the way you, you do it. You know, that's just up to the individual. But I tell you what, it's, it's very rare that they'd come back a second time drinking mm. because it's not, it's not encouraged. Yeah. Um, so a, a lot of people come into AA through detox and rehab. So did you have any experience like that? No, I didn't go to rehab. I just stopped. I had um, some medication from the doctor to help me. Uh, well, I, I had a medication that was an opium blocker, which um, stopped the opium blocked the opium receptors in my brain so that I didn't have cravings and that really worked. I didn't crave alcohol after I stopped. Obviously my body detoxed and I had some side effects like shocking headaches, but that didn't last very long. Um, I think rehab's a better option. Most people that come in these days have been to rehab, I, I find, uh, probably 80% have been to rehabs or detox um, and they're, you know, that that's probably a better way to go because in those rehabs and detox centres, they introduce you to AA 
they have meetings in there so they get to know what it's all about so by the time they're sober and detox they can start on the journey of AA rather than coming in blind so I think you know it's probably advisable to do you know not a lot of people can afford to go to rehabs but we've done we do a lot of work in rehabs we um take meetings at the before COVID stopped we used to go every Friday to the women's prison Dave Phyllis Frost prison and hold AA meetings every Friday morning there um, that was brilliant that was we did the 12 steps with a lot of those prisoners who were all in there for drug and alcohol related crimes obviously um, and we talk a lot at rehabs and dayhabs um, that's all part of a service that AA provides we provide um, so, you know, it's snowball effect, really, this whole thing. Yeah. Can I just ask um, you, um, you mentioned before that you had a bit of drug use. So is a, a drugs or were drugs a particular problem for you or just alcohol? Well, alcohol was the main problem because I'm alcoholic. I, I wasn't a drug addict. I tried party drugs a lot because we were partying, but no. I stopped them uh, after a few years, but the alcohol continued. Yeah, okay. Uh, the other question I was going to ask you was about your daughter and your relationship with your daughter now and I guess her her perception of you and your drinking. And do you want to just oh, talk well, a bit, bit about that? Well, I live with my daughter now and my son-in-law and my grandkids and my partner. We all live together. Um, our relationship's great now. It's um, she's been through a lot um, and an only child and I'm sure she's got a lot of baggage from the past. Uh, obviously, I've done the fourth step with her when we get to the fourth step. I'm doing my steps for the fourth time now. The fourth step where we, we, we have to redeem ourselves. I had um, 25 pages of <laughs> people I had to apologise to redeem myself. Uh, my daughter was one of them and she seemed like she wasn't that affected but I think she was just um, not wanting to, you know, bring up a whole lot of stuff understandably um, and, you know, she she just doesn't – it doesn't seem to have affected her a lot. I feel like it must have affected her a lot more than she's admitting because there were – terrible times when you know we were just um as i said before you know we had bars restaurants and bars and she was neglected um she saw me drunk so often and she spent so much time with my uh, husband's parents and my parents when she was a baby um toddler because we were at work um she was palmed off you know as a child she seems to think that she's had she had a really good childhood and she I think she has respect for me she has a lot of respect for me now because I've stopped um, but it's interesting that I think there's a whole lot of unspoken um, narrative there that might come out eventually but not 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 really yet mm. she seems fine she seems fine yeah they're all, they're all, you know, they're all the same. 
the 30, 38, 40 year olds, they're all doing the same thing as I did. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so what's it like now to have a grandchild and or grandchildren and be able to, I guess, give them the full attention? Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, they're the loves of my life, Charlie and Max. They're six and four and we all live together and they are the most delightful, funny, hilarious little things. But, yeah, they've never seen me drink, you know. I, I say to Max, you're the reason I stopped drinking because he was four months old when, when I stopped. He doesn't know what that means. But <laughs> they'll never see me drink, which is nice, you know. It's a nice feeling. I don't. You know, if I'd still been drinking now, I would be close to death. Um, I would be insane. I wouldn't be living in this situation. I wouldn't have any family around me. I wouldn't have a partner who's been amazing through this whole you know, for 15 years I've been with him. He's just been amazing because he's not an alcoholic. He likes to drink, but he's not an alcoholic. Um, I wouldn't be... Uh, in this situation, you know, and my life is wonderful now. I have a fantastic life. I'm writing a book called, I want to call it Girl Walks Out of a Bar, but it's already been taken, <laughs> that title. I might call it The Hole in the Soul. I'm doing courses. Uh, I do volunteer work. I'm studying Buddhism. I've joined the church. You know, I do a lot of gym and yoga and meditation, which we have to do. We're in recovery, a lot of gratitude lists, a lot of AA readings. Um, I help a lot of people, my sponsees. I'm helping a lot. I'm on the AA helpline. Um, you know, the world just opens up when you stop drinking. You, you can focus again. Your brain returns. You can concentrate. You know, you can make proper decisions instead of ridiculous decisions that you do on the booze. Um, the fear all goes away, you know. My life was full of fear. False evidence appearing real or F everything and run, you know, yeah. whichever way you look at it. Um, I had terrible fear and terrible shame and guilt, guilt-ridden. You know, all that's gone. I mean, I, I would never go back to that, to that black hole that I was in. I would never drink again even though over the years I've so wanted to drink again. I play the tape in my head. I play the tape through to the credits, the drinking tape. By the credits, you know, I'm, I'm a mess and I never want to go back there. Um, so, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really got enough good things to say about AA. Okay. Well, it's brilliant. Um, if anybody would like to find out any more about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can phone them on 1300 222 or go online at aa.org.au for more information about meetings and contact information. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Susie for coming into the 3CR studio and sharing her alcoholism recovery experience with us. Thanks, Susie. Thank you for having me. Uh, join us again next week when we'll be featuring Dan from Smart Recovery and we'll be talking about the challenges of stigma and identity associated with alcoholism and addiction. Coming up next, we have Balanoir, The Spirit of Wah, hosted by Uncle Tullagum Choco Edwards. Wah is the crow, an ancestral being in Aboriginal tradition and oral history, and is a cultural hero and trickster. Join Uncle Choco 
in the spirit of Wah on the journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377.